0: Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian
1: Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm welcoming Jack Chatamet to the show. Jack is an author, teacher, speaker, and coach. His family systems approach to leadership helps congregations and nonprofit leaders achieve their best physically, spiritually, and professionally. He is an avid learner with a passion for taking the most recent secular learnings and applying them to spiritual leadership. Jack is also an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church and currently serves as the executive director at Pocomoth Camp and Retreat Ministries in Centerville, Maryland. He is also the director of the Center for Vital Leadership. Jack is the author of three books, including Anxious Church, Anxious People, How to Lead Change in an Age of Anxiety. Jack and his wife of 40 years Jody have four adult children and three grandchildren. Jack is an avid runner and has completed the Baltimore Marathon three times, He plays guitar and bass in the Jacob's Well Band, his church's worship band. He enjoys all kinds of sports, cooking, reading, traveling, and most of all, seeing people experience spiritual growth. All right, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond, Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined today by Jack Shatama. Jack, thanks so much for being here. Great to be here. Jack has actually been a guest before, but way back in my early days, so um, we'll kind of go through some similar questions. If folks are really dedicated listeners, they might have heard these before, but I wanted to share for folks who may not be familiar with you or perhaps forgot from way back in that episode, Uh, but share a little bit about yourself, kind of about your faith journey, what that looked like in the past and what that looks like today.
2: Sure. Uh I didn't grow up in uh, a church going family. Uh my my parents are not Christians. Um they were they are well my dad passed away but my they were good hard working secular middle class people. And uh, it wasn't until uh, my latter part of my 20s that um, I really started searching spiritually. And I ran, ran into a couple people who really got me thinking about Jesus uh, through their own testimony. And uh, it was through that that um, I prayed this prayer one day. This was kind of the beginning of my faith, I think, where I, I just prayed, Jesus, if you are who you say they say you are, show me. And, hmm. um, and he did. Um, <clears throat> I actually went home and I said to my wife, I think I want to start going to church. And God was working on her. She said, me too. She had grown wow. up in the United Methodist Church. Uh, we started going wow. to the church in which we were married, her, her home church. And uh, I, it, after about a year, I think I got into a Bible study. And that's really what opened up my life and I f- I felt a call to ministry. I was baptized uh, in January of 1988, and um, I was in a pulpit serving as the United Methodist pastor in July of 1991. So it was like a whirlwind. Wow.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that's a whirlwind for sure.
2: Yeah, and then as you you know, uh, family system theory is a huge part of um, uh, what I like to share. It's kind of been my focus in terms of leadership development, and I encountered that at my first seminary uh, your seminary in 1991, and have been studying it ever since.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: What, uh, what would you say is different or more expanded about your faith versus, you know, 30 some years ago?
2: Um, I think, I think now, uh, I've, I've really learned to, uh, live with uncertainty, um, mm. in, in much more, uh, a much healthier way, I think, uh, than I did 30 years ago. Um, uh, what i've come to discover for myself is that that's really what faith is right um mm-hmm. faith is uh trusting in god uh, to uh lead the way and to provide the strength uh one of one of my favorite concepts in christian theology is the understanding that we can do no good apart from the grace of god so mm-hmm. uh, that's our concept of free will we we, the, mm-hmm. we only have the free will to say no to god um we can't even really say yes, but if, if we just open ourselves up to God, then it's God's grace that um, leads us, that guides us, that gives us what we need. And, and then when we see good things happening, uh, especially in terms of uh, doing God's work in the world, uh, we get to give God the credit, give God the glory. So I think that's, that's kind of uh, how my faith has matured.
1: Awesome. What are some spiritual practices that you'd recommend to others or have been meaningful for you?
2: Uh well, I, certainly having a a prayer life is is really critical, and I struggled with that off and on until uh, probably until about two thousand seven, and I <laughs> think that really coincided with uh, my youngest child being in high school. So uh, mornings, mornings got were were not quite so hectic because uh i i would get up early i could get up early and i didn't have a bunch of kids running around so uh we have four children they're all grown now of course but uh so having i think having that prayer life where our focus um is on god is really important um uh one of the practices that's been really meaningful to me in the last few years has been just keeping a real brief uh, gratitude journal um, and, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a form of the Ignatius, uh, Ignatian examine, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, usually you do that at the end of the day where you kind of reflect on the day and ask what, you know, uh, what you're grateful for and, um, what you learned and what you can do better, that type of thing. But, um, I, I, I do it first thing in the morning and, uh, think about the previous day and I write down the names of the people that I encountered and, and, um, even the ones maybe that had difficult encounters, I feel like <laughs> all of those are um people to be grateful for and uh, uh there you know there's a lots of research that uh people who express gratitude um are happier right they they um mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it just you know i think it gives us a sense of grounding and um it starts first with gratitude uh for God but then um gratitude for all of the other aspects of life, especially people. So I think that's, that's the one that's most meaningful to me these days.
1: Yeah. Simple, but helpful
2: for sure. Yeah. Those basic. I was going to say, it only takes me, uh, I, you know, I spend maybe five minutes on it, five or 10 minutes on it. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I'm kind of doing this backwards, but um, any other, anything else you want to share about yourself that makes you, you,
2: no, I I think I'm just another guy, really. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, well, and you probably know I um, this isn't really well. Um, no, this is kind of plugging a book I wrote a book on habit formation because I for many years I felt like I just was grinding at life, mm-hmm. and and then it really started with ha- starting a prayer life in 2007, where um, I, I started doing things out of habit, good things out of habit. Um, you know, first it was prayer, then it was exercise, and it was writing. And and um, it, it, I wish I would have known that when I was younger. I I don't know. I probably wouldn't have listened. Maybe somebody did try to tell me, but um, I yeah. think that you know, learning that it's not so much about willpower and self discipline. It's about being able to focus on developing the right kind of habits has been um, certainly um, almost as life changing as uh, Jesus Christ has been for me. So. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that.
1: Um, I've I've been thinking a lot about your your tips about micro habits and micro goals. You know, trying to think of what are some micro goals I can start to get to my bigger goals. So that's helpful. Um, so, folks, uh, Jack has his own podcast, the Non Anxious Leader Podcast. Highly recommend it. I've been listening it to it for some time. I don't even remember how I found it, uh, but it's all things family systems theory, leadership. Um, Habit formation, highly recommend it. He has a couple books, well, three books I think out, right? Yeah. Um the one I finished reading a few months ago, Anxious Church, Anxious People, How to Lead Change in an age of anxiety, really I think I, I've read a lot of family systems theory books, Jack, and I really think this is one of like the best books of like just kind of laying it out in a simple, understandable way. So for listeners who are who are trying to you know, get a get an understanding. I would highly recommend it just as a as a primer, um, primer for family systems theory. Um, but the reason I have uh, Jack on here is Jack serves in the United Methodist Church as a clergy person. I am fortunate enough to be serving in a UMC church now myself, and there's a, a lot of drama, I guess. Maybe that's the wrong <laughs> word. A lot of stuff happening yeah. uh nationally, globally within the denomination. And um Jack has has shared some things and perspectives on his own podcast around the denomination and um uh, possible splitting and disruption. So I thought it'd be interesting um to have you talk about that from a family systems perspective. Um, but maybe before we dive into that, I thought it might be helpful for listeners who are not familiar with what's going on in the UMC, maybe talk
2: about just the broader background and the backstory. Sure. Um, so I'll start in, I believe it's 1972, that my dates might not be quite accurate, but somewhere around that time, our general conference, which is our uh, legislative body that meets only once every four years, um, uh, passed... Uh, a part of its book of discipline and that says which is our church law uh mm-hmm. that homosexuality is incompatible with christian teaching and uh you know so prior to that there was nothing even in our church law it was only uh as uh, i think people became more aware of lgbtq persons that um the, the, and probably not even the transgender is mainly mainly just mm-hmm. um uh you know uh like LGBT, LGB <laughs> yeah. um, persons that um, the the church felt like they had to speak out and that began um, four decades of um, uh, conflict it wasn't as intense early on uh, but as uh, as with our country uh, as as progressives and conservatives uh, started to become more polarized so our church did as well. And uh, you know this is not new to to mainline Protestant Christianity. Yeah. Uh, you know the Episcopal Church, the United Church of Christ, uh, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church. They've all been through this already, and and had um, denominational splits. Where uh, I'm pretty sure in every case, uh, the progressive wing kept. The name uh, of the of the denomination mm-hmm. and the conservative conservatives started a new denomination, and yeah. so this is we're just the last ones to do it. Uh, we we thought there was supposed to be a general conference, a special general conference in 2019, and we thought there was going to be a way that we could live together in which uh, we would come to an agreement that uh, it, every church got to decide whether they would be willing to host same sex weddings. Uh, so mm-hmm. a church couldn't be forced to do it, but a church could be allowed to do it. Um, yeah. Every every pastor could decide whether they would uh, be willing to officiate a same-sex wedding. Uh, and each annual conference, which is uh, each of our jurisdic- uh, judicatories, like regions, um, uh, e- each of our regions would be able to decide whether they would ordain LGBTQ persons. So mm-hmm. um, we thought, you know, this is a way we could remain a big tent, uh, right. It didn't happen. And in fact, hmm. actually, um, the, the traditional or conservative wing actually, um, gained a little bit of an up, upho- uh, uh, you know, uh, upper, some strength on that. And, mm-hmm. and so things actually moved in the opposite direction. Uh, there was a lot of turmoil from there. And, but then, uh, a group of, uh, I'm going to say about a dozen people total, maybe 16 uh, from each side. Total from each, you know, half from each side got together, and uh, they were led by uh, the negotiator who administered the 9/11 Victims Fund. I, Hmm. I I want to say his name is Ken Feinberg, but I might be wrong about that. Um, Anyway. Uh, they came to an agreement about how we might amicably separate, and I won't mm-hmm. go into all the details, but the idea was that uh, we we were going to agree to disagree, and uh, the United Methodist Church would remain a church uh, and be able to— um, Uh, eliminate the language uh, about uh, homosexuality being incompatible with Christian uh, teaching and that the conservative wing of the church would leave and form its own denomination called the Global Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. We were all really hopeful at that point in time, and that was going to be codified in the 2020 General Conference, uh, which was to happen in, um, I believe, September of 2020, but it might have been May Anyway, we we know what happened in 2020. <laughs> there were gonna be no gatherings like that. Yeah. Uh, they pushed yeah. it off to 2021. They pushed it off again to 2022, and then they decided that really it was it didn't make sense to do it. We would just meet again in 2024. Well, yeah. that created a lot of disruption and uncertainty. Uh, churches that wanted to leave were getting feeling anxious. Uh, clergy and church members that wanted to leave were feeling anxious and and the the coalition that had formed this kind of amicable separation broke down and mm. and so now uh there in the 2019 general Conference there was a something that was passed called a disaffiliation clause where A church could leave the denomination and take their property with them uh, if they went through a certain process and paid a certain amount of their um, missional um, giving that they have to give to the denomination. And -hmm. that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing a lot of churches uh, that are uh, going through this disaffiliation process. Um, Interestingly, uh, not all of them are going to the global Methodist church. Many of them are are, just – they just want out. They want out of the – the the franchise they want out from um having to be a part of the bigger bigger connectional church and, yeah. and so that's what's kind of creating the chaos. I know that's a long answer but um no, that's helpful. Yeah.
1: Um so one quick thing I had heard somewhere like on a like on a YouTube video about this topic that some the that window so to speak that you mentioned was closing mm-hmm. or would be closing soon. So church or
2: or, or what was it? Maybe that it's kind of being forced closed. I can't remember. Uh, so it was passed as a temporary measure in 2019, and I, I, ironically, it was passed to give uh, progressive churches a chance to leave if they wanted. It was really passed with with more tra- or traditional conservative support. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been it, because of the change in circumstances. It's now the mm-hmm. opposite. Uh, but yeah, that window is closing. 2023. Um, they they're they're going to have to. Uh, have made their decision, uh, which requires a two-thirds vote of all their church members. Um, Uh uh, The approval of the annual conference, they have to pay. uh, It it varies from uh, conference to conference because each conference gets to set the rules. But on average, a couple years' worth of um, what we call apportionments, which is our Mm -hmm. giving to the denomination, uh, which can be pretty significant. Um, Yeah. And that all has to be paid by the end of 2023. So the window, yes, is closing. Okay. You know, I think what it was is there was a conference that was basically saying, we're
1: not going to let anyone else out. Mm, Okay. So I can't remember what that conference was. Anyway, um, so a lot happening, and I don't want to get into like the nitty-gritty of policies and procedures and stuff. What I want to hear that I think at least would be helpful for me, and I'm hoping would help for our listeners, is kind of you've alluded to when I've been listening to some of your podcast episodes of like, how do you think this process has not been healthy from a family systems perspective?
2: So I'd like to hear more from there. Sure, sure. I'll go to the macro uh, first, yeah. the bigger yeah. picture, um, because what this conflict it would be considered in family systems theory is a classic triangle. So mm. a triangle occurs when two people... Are uncomfortable with each other, their yeah. relationship, um, and so to avoid having to deal with that discomfort, they focus on a third person or issue. Yeah. And and so, you know, a classic triangle might be uh, in a in a couple. Uh, one of the partners they're uncomfortable with each other, and so one of the partner partners just dives into their career, works a lot, and focuses on that. That's kind of a way of avoiding the discomfort. And mm-hmm. and then so the other partner complains about you're working too much oh well my boss says I have to um, how come you're not home early well I had to do this and 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 the focus is is on the work right so they start mm-hmm. arguing about the work instead of dealing with their own discomfort with right. each other and so um, in in the early 70s and into the 80s as progressives and um, conservatives Got more uncomfortable with each other. Um, this became more and more a focus of their um, their discomfort with each other. And and I will say that this is you know in family systems theory, there's a um, there's this this concept of things uh, of generational transmission, things getting passed from generation mm-hmm. to generation. And 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 at least in Christianity in the twentieth in, in the in the United States. There have been a series of things like this, um, slavery uh, mm-hmm. back in the 19th century, uh, fundamentalism in the early 20th century, yeah. uh, that became focuses, uh, foci of of, uh, uh, of the conflict between progressives and conservatives. So uh, this is something that… Uh, you know we just keep doing and in my own <laughs> denomination not only do we have this history of 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 these types of triangles but we also have a history of schisms we have a history mm-hmm. of divorces so uh the first one uh occurred back in 1816 it it was related to race and i, I don't think uh th- this it's i don't think that's con uh Coincidental, and I'll I'll tell you why, but in a minute. But um, in a church in Philadelphia, uh, uh, St. George's Church, uh, it it used to be that um, African Americans and Anglo's would worship together. um, But Mm -hmm. in 1816, they told the African Americans uh, they had to sit in the balcony. And Richard Allen, who was actually w- one of the certified lay preachers in the church, led a movement, and and they walked out, and they formed what is now the uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church. And okay, um, the uh, in in 1821, the uh, same thing happened at John Street, in New York. African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church came out of that. Um, we had the. Uh, Methodist Protestant church that split away in 1830 because uh, they didn't want bishops. <laughs> uh, and so uh, their motto was the a church without a, a country, without a king, and a church without bishops. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, so just on and on. And of course, we split over slavery. Uh, and so it it uh, th- this is in our DNA. Schism is in our DNA. Uh, the other part about that, and this is the kind of the macro, uh, even more macro, in our culture in our country. Um, Michael Kerr, who uh, was studying under uh, Murray Bowen, um, ha- has a theory that um the united states uh part of uh, what has propelled it from its beginning uh was that we always had a scapegoat and yeah. uh early on yeah you remember my podcast on that huh? <laughs> <laughs> early on um it it was uh slaves and indigenous peoples and and we could always focus on them uh as the problem the so called yeah. problem and uh you know that that took us all the way up m- into the mid twentieth century, but the civil rights movement um and you could say women uh, also uh were considered a scapegoat so but but this idea that uh, all of a sudden through civil rights and uh women's rights uh that uh, all people were equal and and we really c- shouldn't oppress others and we shouldn't exploit others um this this took away our scapegoat, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if it was Kerr or somebody else said, what they really think was a tipping point was uh, the one thing that held held us through that period was communism. We still could yeah. blame communism, yeah. but when the wall fell in, I think, the early 90s, um, that was it. And, and if you look at it, since then, I mean, we've been fighting each other, right? Right. <laughs> uh, because our political world is the same. And uh, even though we still, some people still want to have like immigrants as scapegoats or uh, um, we're really using each other. We're focused on each other. And so uh, what, what do we do? We, in the, church, uh, we've triangled uh, human sexuality, at least in our denomination, United Methodist Church, as a way to um, avoid other things. One more thing in terms of the yeah, Protestant church, yeah. um, Protestant mainline churches have been declining since the 60s, steadily, right. and and so talk about denial. This is, this is a way to deny uh, that perhaps uh, we got comfortable, we got complacent. We became middle class people who cared more about ourselves instead of reaching out in the name of Jesus um, and trying to change um, oppressive systems in the name of Jesus. And so, what happened was uh, over time we focused on that issue. And you might hear people say, "Well, you know, if we just got back to to the basics and got back to the Bible and traditional values, we would, you know, we would flourish as a church. Or uh, if if we just, you know, freed ourselves from these oppressive things and and um, became a more open church. Uh, you know, we'll we'll reach more people. Well, right. Neither of those is really true. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I think you you could do all the things that we need to do to reach people for Jesus and uh, bring the reign of God into the world without dealing with that issue at all. So, hmm. um, so you think it's in some ways an anxiety response to the decline? You're saying? Yeah. Yeah. It it is, yeah, Um, and and you know, just as I think um, the uh, our political division in the country is an anxiety response uh, to the shift away from um, you know a a system where some people are privileged uh, and we're trying to move to a system that's more egalitarian, even though we we still have a long way to go. Right. So that was a. I really appreciate you the kind of macro
1: view. Tell me more about you know the the micro view in a you know from an f s t family systems perspective
2: yeah, so I think you know what what from the macro view, there's nothing we can do. we're gonna split uh, just right. like all the others um from what I've heard from some friends and colleagues in other denominations it 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 gets really ugly mm-hmm. um, feelings are hurt, relationships are broken, lawsuits are. Um, filed, uh, yeah. money becomes central money and assets and, and, um, it just gets really ugly. And, and, uh, if, if you think about that, you know, if you think about all the ways that Christianity has become irrelevant to so many people, uh, you just have to wonder what they think when they see Christians fighting like this, right? Right. Um, I, I. That my biggest concern is is what an awful witness it is uh to the grace and love of god and so um m- my concern at this point is that we figure out a way to move forward uh, with the grace and love of god and and to me, what family systems theory t- teaches is that we can only control our own functioning uh, yeah. that we can only work on defining ourselves and we we can't define others. You know, if we try to define others, uh, we get into this so-called conflict of wills, where it's all about who's right and who's wrong, and that's where we are. And so, uh, what I'm hoping is is that uh, we can teach Christian leaders to be more self differentiated. That is, to to not give in on on our own principles, but to say. This is where I stand on this. This is, I believe, this is this is how I'm going to follow God. And but then also say, but if you don't, that's okay. If 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 you disagree right. with me, that's okay. Um, because I think if we could do that, that would that would be a powerful witness. If if we could actually figure out a way to part um, and and send each other off with uh, with a blessing, uh, it, it would at least show to people that you know, okay. Christians disagree uh, just like the rest of the world but uh, Christians do it differently because of their common bond in Jesus Christ uh, I I don't see that happening but <laughs> I, I'm not giving up <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna uh, you know that's what I think part of the work I feel called to do is to help help people learn uh, that it's possible and and to do that um, I, I i have really close friends who uh we we knew each other uh as, as christian siblings uh even before before we went into the ministry and uh it's another couple that uh the the woman went into the ministry uh a couple of years after i did and then the husband a year or two after that the man, the man after that um so uh they they are they are very traditional uh mm. they they mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to go Global Methodist Church or not. Um I I actually we've been trying to get together and we haven't, but uh you know, we we made a commitment uh that we would treat each other with love and grace uh no matter what happened and um I, you know, I I think we've we have been doing that. We yeah. uh, we're trying to do that and um that's really why I, I want to connect with them. I haven't actually seen them had a conversation with them for a few years Hmm. and, and would love to just um, hear how they're doing and what they're, what they're thinking, what, where their God is calling them. Um, I don't want to see them leave the denomination, but that's, that's not up to me, you know, that's, that's, that's their choice. And I think that's, that's what self-differentiation is. If, if, and, and what our instinct is, is to say, well, if, if they're leaving, they can't be good, you know, yeah, only right. the good people stay well, right, <laughs> that's a little monolithic, right, yeah, um so uh, uh I guess we'll see how that goes, yeah. yeah, the conflict
1: of wills, I want to highlight that because I feel like I'm not sure what your perspective of it would be, but I feel like for for me at least it, it feels so prevalent in all aspects of our society right now where we're trying to define the other and I don't know. Uh, one of my one of my friends and colleagues, he wrote like a Substack about um, basically how we're, if I remember correctly, something to the effect of like we're basically trying to argue from a different kind of like source book, if that if that makes sense, like mm-hmm. foundational text. And I kind of wondered about like the efficacy of saying like basically saying you know this is wrong because this source says so. Meanwhile, the other group we're arguing against is going from a Basically, has a completely different source book. Again, if t- to stay with a metaphor,
2: um and it, what's a better way of, of functioning there? Yeah, I mean, um let, let let's be real, right? We can't even agree on what's truth anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fake news and facts if the pandemic showed us anything, right. um we 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 all interpret so-called facts differently and, yeah. and so um yeah and then when you go to using different source books or you know different interpretations of our our source book the bible mm-hmm. uh yeah it it doesn't get us anywhere it just gets us into deeper and deeper conflict um i uh, adam uh adam grant who's a psychologist at the wharton school of business he's an organizational psychologist his most recent book is called think again and he has in there uh four uh archetypes that uh, uh Come out when we're in some kind of disagreement. Um, I won't say argument, but just disagreement. And the first he says is prosecutor, preacher. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll start with preacher because we're Christians and we're right. we're, we're clergy. So uh, when you go into preacher mode, you're you're trying to convince other the other person that you're right and they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we do when we preach. Right? We preach the truth. <laughs> right. This is the truth. Right? Right. Um, the other is prosecutor and and prosecutor we're trying to convince the other person that they're wrong we're trying to convict them right right <laughs> um and, and you, we can do preacher and prosecutor in the same conversation but mm-hmm. i think i think they're helpful um understandings of different ways that we we get into this conflict of wills uh the third is politician which is oh well we really don't have any principles we're just trying to get along and we'll say anything you know and yeah. and um so we we don't we just want to get along with the other person. And and of course, uh, what he's saying is none of those are helpful because my interpretation is uh, they either get us into a conflict of wills or the the politician is a form of adaptivity, right? It's a form mm, of just mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. giving in to what the other person wants because we don't want to get into conflict. It's a it's a form of conflict avoidance. And so what he says the he says the most helpful approach is what he calls the scientist. Uh, mm. And and uh, what he talks about is that scientists really don't care what the truth is; they just want to learn the truth, um, and so uh, they'll. They'll form a hypothesis, and they'll run an experiment, and they're just as happy to find out that their hypothesis is wrong because right. uh, they they got closer to the truth. And and actually, I was in a, a Bible study discussion this morning, and you know, we 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 were co- emphasizing the word curiosity. Yeah, and I think curiosity is uh, this really helpful approach to everything, uh, whether it's the so-called facts or whether it's a person that's in your face mm-hmm. <laughs> or, um, you know, just whatever's going on in the world. When we're curious, we're less likely to be angry. We're less likely uh, to be reactive or adaptive. Um, and as you know, uh, one of the things I always recommend in those anxious situations is just to listen. Right. And, and so curiosity and listening go hand in hand. It's ask, uh, I'm going back to this couple, uh I was at our annual meeting of our churches uh this was probably in 2016 and uh, uh, the the woman uh was setting up a uh display for the Wesleyan Covenant Association which mm-hmm. is the forerunner to the global Methodist Church so it's the traditional conservative um, organization and uh, she was an officer of the over the organization still is and and I asked you know I, I just went up and I just said you know so tell me what are your organizational goals? What, 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 what are your aims? And, and then I asked her, you know, what, what, are you, what would it take for us to keep our denomination together? And she told me, and then she asked me the same thing, and I told her. And we still weren't quite on the same page, but right. um, we weren't arguing, right? Hmm. We, we were just sharing uh, where we were without trying to convince the other. And, and you know, that, that didn't change anybody's minds, Um, but it kept our relationship intact. And so, um, so I, I think this idea of being curious, uh, and not, uh, trying to win the day, I think that's the problem is we're trying to win the day and, um, trying to win the day is going to cause us all to lose the day because, um, it, it will be, it's, it It is going to get nasty for some people. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to just keep it from getting nasty in my own little (laughs) part of the world and perhaps help other people do the same. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a bunch more uh, family systems questions here, but I got to keep
1: focused and get back on track to the UMC discussion here. Let me ask you maybe two more questions here before we take a break. What do you think will happen? And maybe what do you think should happen?
2: Uh, whew. well, you know, the, the should would be that when, when we meet in 2024, we, we formalize some kind of actual amicable separation, mm-hmm. but, um, it, it, by then it might be too late, yeah. you know? So what I, what I say, what I, what should happen right now is people should give each other a break. Um, they should understand that we don't agree and that people of conscience, of Christian conscience, can disagree, and that um, we all just need to relax a little bit, you know? So um, I think that what should happen is uh, we should allow people to choose what they want to do and send them with our blessing or uh, leave them behind with our blessing. And, and so um, if we could do that, I think I, I, I would be grateful that that mm-hmm. happened. Um, what will happen— I think it's more likely to devolve into what's happened in other denominations. We're we're going to see lawsuits. We're going to see hurt feelings. We're going to see broken relationships. And um, you know, the only thing I hold to is that God doesn't need us. You know, and in fact, if we destroy ourselves and each other in the process, God will find another way to to you know bring the reign of God to earth as it is in heaven. So, um, you know, I'm. I don't want to say I'm cynical. Um, I, I think I'm just being realistic that uh, mm-hmm. it, it's hard for me to picture how it, it doesn't um, get really nasty. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's take a break and come back with some closing
1: questions. All right. We're back with Jack Shatama and uh, Jack, I usually ask certain closing questions here, but I'm going I'm going to tweak it a little bit for you rather than asking if you're pope for a day how about if you were and the i guess this is again this is not an actual position if you're pope of the
2: united methodist church maybe <laughs> what would that day look like uh well i would probably try to uh in, in see the problem. yeah if if i had ultimate authority and could just right. do what i wanted in the united right. I, I would probably try to institute uh, that amicable separation. It, not everybody would be happy with that, but I think a lot more, it would allow for a lot smoother transition into the future. I, I do want to go back to if I were Pope for a day. That sure, sure. Um, I I would I would. Steamroll the whole thing. I would um, allow priests to marry. I would allow women to be ordained, and I would uh, remove all the bans on um, you know, LGBTQ persons. So <laughs> if I were Pope, and I, you know, I think Saint Francis—I mean, Saint Francis, Pope Francis—he might do the same. But he, he I think, he's a, a little more savvy of a, a leader slash politician. Yeah. So uh, yeah. But that that yeah, if I had that chance, I'd do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that reminds me. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you: is how you saw. Uh, Uh, leadership for good or bad happening through this whole process?
2: Um, I see the healthy leaders as modeling this. So Mm -hmm. uh, for example, our Bishop is Bishop Luttrell Easterling uh, and she's over the Baltimore, Washington and Peninsula Delaware conferences, which is Maryland, uh, DC and and the state of Delaware, a little part of West Virginia too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, she was asked recently, um by a group of people in public uh how she felt about two of her uh, bishop colleagues uh leaving the denomination to go to the global methodist church and and she said one of them she was actually very close to she's going to miss conversations with him um and she sends him with her blessing hmm. uh, so um you know i i just think that there's um it can be modeled it can mm. be modeled um and and so leaders who model this this type of self differentiation uh this type of non anxious presence uh can be really helpful to uh the rest of us who are really anxious that's good to hear that's helpful to hear um a theologian or historical christian figure you'd want to
1: meet or bring back to life
2: yeah um i i, th- I think it'd be interesting to see saint francis um mm uh i also thought about john wesley but john wesley man he was intense um charles <laughs> wesley maybe uh, you know these are the founders of methodism yeah. charles wesley i'd be interested just because he wrote all those songs to mm-hmm. uh presumably bar tunes to local music you know it's, hmm. it's uh, uh so anyway I, I think those are a few that I, i've thought of yeah what do you think history will remember from our current time and place um i th- i think first of all uh the pandemic you know that's the it's it's going to be hard for that to not be one of the de- defining moments uh I, I think that uh we are getting close to the zenith maybe the next 10 years of uh, this division and conflict hmm. um if you, if you do generational studies um one of the things I say about baby baby boomers of which I'm a a, a part of that generation is they're idealists and uh, idealists don't compromise very well. And, Mm. and so um, I, and and as my kids who are millennials tell me that baby boomers ruined everything. Um, (laughs) So uh, I think as baby boomers age out of life in general and power, uh, I, I think the, the Gen X and the millennial generation especially are, are going to find a way to take us in a new direction and a healthier direction. So, hmm. um, I'm not blaming the baby boomers. Yeah. I'm just saying, I, I, I think all of these things have come together. And I think that, um, I, I believe in 10 years, you know, say the early 2030s, uh, I, I don't th- I think our political divisions will be not so intense and we'll find a, a different way to, uh, you know, to live in our world. And yeah. I think that's mainly due to young people. So, yeah. um, I'm looking, I'm hopeful for our young people.
1: Yeah. um, I'll give you two ways to answer this if you want. I want to ask, what are your hopes for the future of the United Methodist Church? But if you'd like to also answer more broadly for Christianity, you're welcome to. Um, but how, how would you answer that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, as I mentioned, what hap- what's happened with Christianity is uh, it became uh, complacent and comfortable mm-hmm. and, and inward-looking. And so my, my hope is uh, that, that Christianity will become outward-facing again. I heard uh, somebody say a long time ago: you know, Christianity is one of the few organizations designed for the benefit of its non-members, hmm. and um, and you know, some people think of that in terms of proselytizing and making conversions. I, I think of it in terms of um, meeting the world where they are with God's love and yeah. grace, and and so um, I hope that we see uh, churches start to focus less on going back to where we were, uh, less on numbers and butts and pews and mm-hmm. more on connecting with their communities and, and living out, um, what they believe God's call is to serve them. And, and, you know, even if Christianity is much smaller because of that, I think it will be more powerful. And, yeah. uh, my study of Christian history, which is one of the subjects I loved, um, shows that it was always most most faithful and vibrant when it was outside the majority, when it was outside uh, the rings of power. So, yeah. um, so I don't think it's a bad thing that we're, we <laughs> we, may, we may be in decline in Christianity, we, uh, Christianity as we know it disappears, uh, right. be, because I don't think that Christianity as we know it was as faithful as we should have been. Sure,
1: yeah. Well, um, you have quite a… Of- As I alluded to, you have a lot going on yourself that you work on. What are some of your projects that people can find and and connect with you online?
2: Yeah, uh, if they're interested in family systems theory, if they're interested in uh, how to be a non-anxious presence, I I think the podcast is the one, um, it seems, that people find most helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's a place to start. Uh, I also, yeah, I think I'm a a bit of an eclectic person, but I, I like to, I feel like I'm I like to bring together these concepts of family systems theory, um, self-care, uh, productivity Mm -hmm. and, and try to bring them all together because, uh, these are the things that help me to function as a non-anxious present. So, uh, I do have an email newsletter that goes out every Tuesday and, um, it, it's called two for Tuesday. I, I usually have a brief kind of devotional thing and there are something uh, that I'm writing on, uh, and then two recommendations and, um, uh, I, I very seldom sell stuff in there, so if you're worried about me, <laughs> yeah. about getting sales emails all the time, um, uh, you can you can try it out. You'll find out that it's really uh, – I just kind of put it out there to try to be helpful to people. And the website is what again? TheNonAnxiousLeader.com. No punctuation, just TheNonAnxiousLeader.com. Yeah, awesome. Well, Jack, really appreciate your time. Thanks for squeezing uh,
1: our conversation in today amongst your busy day. And uh, really appreciate your perspectives. Always leave folks with a word of peace, so may God's peace be with you. Thank you, Lauren,
0: and thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Roe-McLevitt. Thanks, and go in Peace.